0: Well, kia ora, hello, and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Uh, we did this quite long series called The Great Exchange. I don't know if that's going to come up. Um, and, and the idea that uh, for followers of Jesus, it's not so much that we live an improved life or Jesus comes to tweak our lives. He actually comes to do an exchange. And he's like, and that's the message of the cross, particularly Isaiah 53. He's like, I'll take your punishment. I'll take your shame. I'll take your grief. I'll take your curse. And I'll give you what I have. So the idea that there's this great exchange that happens. And so um, we did a series over about nine weeks there, went through some of the exchanges of of the cross. So just quickly, some of them, Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. He was wounded, that we might be healed. He was made sin, that we might be made righteous, died our death, that we might share his life, was made a curse, that we might receive his blessing, endured poverty, that we might share his abundance. Jesus bore our shame, that we might share his glory. He endured our rejection, that we might enjoy his acceptance, since our old person died in Jesus that the new person might live in us. It's like There's this extraordinary exchange on the cross that Jesus says, I'll take your brokenness, I'll take your pain, I'll take your hurt, and let me give you what I have. And, and that, that's the message of the cross. I don't know what you feel when you listen to those. Some of them are quite kind of theological about punishment versus forgiveness, shame versus glory, sin versus righteousness. There's one that kind of stood out to me as a lot more kind of, in a sense, kind of psychological. This one, Jesus endured our rejection that we might enjoy his acceptance. And it's like, is this kind of like candy floss Christianity, Christianity light, pop psychology? Like all the rest seem kind of really deep and then like acceptance, rejection, is that, is that kind of a, is that a big deal? Is that kind of like, is that just pop psychology? And um, I wanna show you uh, something about that, but one of the writers said, said this, that as a bit of a pre-warning of where we're going, oh, this is the one that actually broke him and killed him. Like this goes real deep. Like this is a significant exchange. That people, we carry the sense of rejection, pain, hurt, and, and that Jesus on the cross took this, and this, this was the one that broke him. Let me show you, first of all, I'll show you that in a minute, but show you that the, he did experience this. So this famous passage, Isaiah 53, uh, which talks about this prophetic picture of what was going to happen to Jesus, this. He was despised and rejected. Notice the fourth line down, repeated again. Jewish poetry kind of does that. He was despised and rejected, a man of suffering familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, repeated, and we held him in low esteem. Despite, he knew what it meant to feel despised by people. And unpacking, he knew what it felt to feel rejected. He knew what it felt for people to look down on him, not to hold him in high regard. Jesus, Jesus chose to experience that so that we wouldn't have to live with it. And in the middle, the context then, a man of suffering familiar with pain, not talking about physical pain or suffering, talking about I know what it's like to feel like no one cares. I know what it's like to feel like you're not good enough. I know what it's like to feel like you don't belong. And I know that's somehow the deepest ache of of human hearts. And so on the cross, I dealt with that. I took that. I did an exchange of that. And so, you know, he knew what it was like to be rejected by his people, by his best friends, by his followers. But the ultimate experience, Matthew 27, he knew what it was like to be rejected by God, not because he deserved it, but because he was taking it so that we would never have to feel that. So Matthew 27, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, for a moment, experienced the thing, total rejection, total abandonment, total pain of not belonging. And, and, there's, a, and there's another prophetic picture, a passage about that, which is why some of these writers say this is what killed him. It's found in Psalm 69, verse 20 to 21. And if you know, down in verse 21, they put gall in my food, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. That happened when Jesus is hanging on the cross. He says, I'm thirsty, they put vinegar and give it to him. But it's verse 20, that's interesting, scorn has broken my heart. What broke Jesus' heart? The pain of rejection. The pain of hurt, the pain of being despised. And, 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 and it's interesting because uh, in Mark 15, it talks about how after he died, Joseph of Arimathea came to collect the body. And it just says Pilate was surprised to hear he's already dead. Pilate's a Roman government military official. He's crucified probably thousands of people. He knows it's a gruesome death, but he knows you don't die that quickly from crucifixion. He's surprised that Jesus had died so quickly. And it's like, it's like, Hold on, we know how this works. You don't die that quickly from what we inflict on people. It's designed to linger. And so it's like Jesus took took our wounds for healing, but it wasn't the physical suffering that killed him. We often, in gruesome movies about the passion narrative, you know, we'll show the lashings and stuff. It's all true, but that's not ultimately what killed him. He took our shame to give us his glory, being naked on the cross, but that's not what killed him. He took sin. For uh, that we might have his righteousness, but that didn't kill him. He took the curse uh, that we might have blessing, but that's not what killed him. What ultimately broke his heart was then he said, if I'm going to heal the deepest pain of human lives, I need to experience rejection ultimately by God. And Psalm says that's what broke his heart and killed him. So you go, oh, my goodness. If, you know, I hear you've gone on, a, have a bit of a theme around belonging and stuff. You go, man, to, to tap into this thing of acceptance, rejection, goes really deep. And, and the good news is that that this is an area that God would want to deal with. But I don't know if for you, for you, there's a question that comes from me. If this is so deep, why don't we kind of, run around feeling it with a bigger sign on our hearts. I mean, I'm sure you have ministry times and people say, hey, I've got this sickness, could you pray for me? Or, you know, I did this thing, I feel real guilty, could you pray? Or I feel the shame, could you pray? People don't generally come like, hey, I have this deep wound of rejection. It's like, we just don't do that. And and so I wonder why, and, and what I think is this, almost that it's so deep, we don't feel it. It's too deep. So we build walls to keep it away. Uh, and so the key is this, that I would think, you, you see the fruit, you don't feel the roots. And you look for the fruit to go, yeah, there's an issue there somewhere, because it's so deep, we don't actually feel it. So there's a, there's a model, uh, one counselor, that you won't be able to read the words, but you get the picture. It's like, man, there's all these different roots from from the manner and um, timing of conception uh, w- w- in the mother's womb, the manner of birth, being adopted, the baby not being bonded to a mother. Um, my wife was born really premature, was in a you know incubator for six or seven weeks, that whole thing of bonding, maybe not the gender that the parents wanted, um, being adopted, stuff in the family home, teachers and stuff at school, friends, all that kind of stuff is all the roots. But this idea, it's like a tree that has quite different appearances. So things that look really different that you would never think came from the same roots actually are just different fruit of this underlying thing, this heart, this journey, this ache for acceptance. So this person, if you put up, says there's kind of three different areas, if you put up the next one, um, that that you see this. Aggressive reactions, self-rejection, and measures to counter it. And I just want to paint this picture to the sense like, oh, is there some fruit in my life that God would want to go in and actually heal the root? So the first one is aggressive reactions, strong reactions. Looks really different to not like, oh, I'm this, soft, I'm this broken person who's feeling rejected. Looks like there's an angry person who's rejecting everyone else. So a bit of a, how I learned about this a few years ago, we have a, we have a big conference for our um, group of churches it's usually in the spark arena and it was i can't remember how many years ago the theme was prophesy and i was like man god wants to speak to us all and i'm like yeah god i'm believing you got to speak to me at this conference i'm ready i'm ready to hear i went through the first day not much second day not much i'm like come on god i want to hear something and i woke up on the third day and i just felt god said, i'm going to speak to you in the session this afternoon i'm like, "Great." So session in the afternoon, I found out it was a men's session. They had some separate men's and I was like, great, I'm gonna go and sit on the front row because God's gonna to speak to me. It's gonna be great. I'm not gonna sit down the back, I'm gonna I'm going get, get my word from God. So I sit at the front row. The guy who gets up to speak, he's this prophet guy, but he's also got a PhD in psychology. And he and he says, Hey, um I wanna talk about men's anger. And I'm like, Oh, you're joking. You're going to do this here? And, like, why did I sit on the front row of 3,000 people and you're going to, we're going to do this now, God? And then he talks about how some men struggle with anger and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, man, I've struggled with this, with my relationship with my wife and kids. And, and it gets to the end. He's like, if you know God needs to deal with something, I want you to stand. I'm like, oh, no. why do I sit on the front row and so I thought, no, I, re- I really want get, to get this dealt with. So I stood up, and you're kind of like this, like, God, why am I angry? And I just felt him say one word, which was um, independence. And I, I, I want to explain something about where my background, not because you should be particularly interested, but to unpack maybe there's other people's similar kind of stories. So when I grew up, my dad was in and out of prison when I was little, so I was the oldest of two, but I obviously don't remember this, so I'm told when when I was born, he never arrived to pick up my mum, because he'd been arrested and put in jail, so my mum had to take a newborn baby, go and find a job, caregiving, look after some elderly person while looking after a baby. He was in and out of jail, then he left when I was nine, and um, grew up on the poorest state housing street in New Plymouth, and... uh, and, and just some, and, and here's what I realized as an adult, my dad left for good. Oh, so on my ninth birthday, I got a watch. The day after my ninth birthday, I came home from school, my brother's like, mum's upstairs, she wants to talk to you. Go upstairs, she's sitting on the bed crying, holding a letter from my dad saying, yeah, oh, dad's gone for good. And the very first thought, totally cognitively, abstract, conceptual, rational, was, oh, I'm going to need to sell my watch. And now as an adult, I look back horrified that go, already at nine, something had been pushed so deep, so far, it wasn't, there were no tears, dad's gone, there was no upset, it was just like, I'd already learned, you've got to look after yourself, no one's going to help you. I'd learned to be Independent. And that got me through my childhood, got me through my teenagers, it got me into my 20s. Unfortunately, it started damaging my marriage and started having a bad effect on my parenting. And so as someone who'd been a Christian a long time and a pastor, it's like, God, this, this defense I've got to stop feeling the pain is actually hurting me and hurting the people around me, and I don't want this anymore. I don't want to be the angry guy. That's the strategy that pushes people away and keeps them at a distance. And so, again, who would have thought that early on I'd learnt, hey, here's a strategy to not feel hurt. Just keep people at a distance and don't let them get close. And if they get too close, be the angry guy. But there's other reactions. If you go, there's interesting, these measures to counter fear. So many different things. Like, oh, if I'm a perfectionist, if everything's perfect, no one's going to reject me. But then on the opposite, oh, I'm just going to be the apathetic guy that pretends they don't care because then no one can reject what I do because I didn't try anything. Or, um, you know, isolation or withdrawal or selfishness or greed or numbness or even addictions. Um, when I was young, I did a degree in psychology back in the day when they used to train, used to do these weird things with rats of teaching them to push a little bar to get a reward. And, and, and scientists have done this experiment. Do you know, they, they got rats basically addicted to heroin and methamphetamine. So you push a little bar and you don't get a little pellet of food, you get a little drop of heroin, methamphetamine. And, and then they gave this. The researchers gave rats the option of pressing one lever for a drug infusion or a different lever to open a door and interact with a social peer. The rats op- opted to open the door more than 90% of the time, even when they had previously self-administered methamphetamine. What does that mean? Even a rat's smart enough to know, this addiction is just drowning the pain of my real need, which is for acceptance, which for his belonging. But most of us don't realise that, and we keep trying to drown the pain whether it's pornography or relationships or success or, or or whatever and it's like it's like ah when will i when will i when will i open and go god my deepest need actually is for acceptance my deepest need is for belonging my deepest need is to feel like i'm valued um, just a bit of a trigger warning, the next little bit. I want to mention some stuff around suicide and eating disorders and self-harm. So if those are triggers for you, just can you just do what you need to do to keep safe? Just protect your heart. But again, like, it was interesting growing up high school, group of guys, the two guys that were the life of the party, the fun guys, the friendly guys that I grew up with, both committed suicide in their 30s. It's like you had one strategy, and when it didn't work anymore, you couldn't find another way to be. When life wasn't fun and you weren't the fun guy, you didn't have an answer. That's sad. For others, um, for others, it's beauty, it's sports, it's financial success, it's whatever. But you realize all this stuff is just trying to put a strategy, so I'm not going to be rejected, I'm not going to be put down, I'm not going to be despised. And to go, yeah, my deepest need is connection and acceptance. My whole life has been this journey to find something to cover the pain. And Jesus comes and says, I want to do an exchange. I want to take, I took all that on the cross so that you could know my acceptance. You know, I think the really tragic one, if you put back up those three again, is the one in the middle, self-rejection. When the voices got inside... And it's not just other people. It's one thing to go, yeah, my dad walked away. The people in my life hurt me. They don't care. It's another thing when the voice inside doesn't like you. Um, we were pastors of a church uh, a number of years ago, and there was this lovely elderly couple, been Christians all their lives, lovely woman, um, just like, you know, one of those classic, kind of saintly, mature Christian women. And one day she said, Every time she looks in the mirror, this voice inside her says, I won't say what it is, but you, beep, beep, beep. She would never use a word, but inside her, where every time she looked in the mirror and it's like, how could you sit in church your whole life and never have confronted this thing that somehow this voice has got inside of you, which which rejects yourself? It's like, dear God, Jesus came to deal with that kind of stuff. And, you know, for some people it's like a body, oh, my legs are too short, they're too thick, They're too my looks, my nose is too big, my ears stick out, my hair's the wrong colour, I don't like my laugh, I don't like my name, I don't like my middle name, but it's just all, like, self-hate, and it's like, what a terrible thing to have the critic living in your head. Um, I was talking about this in the UK a few months ago, and I thought felt God prompt me to do something. I thought, man, I have to be careful this doesn't come across creepy. So I was like, I've got two daughters and I've got two granddaughters. So I'm saying this as a dad and a granddad, but saying, man, for young women in our culture, God wants you to feel beautiful. And we live in a world where that's been robbed. You're designed to feel like you're a treasure, that you're clever, that you're adored, that you're competent, that you're strong but we live in a world that conspires against us. Again, bit of background. Um, Some of you might have heard there's a thing called the Fiji experiment. It's not an urban myth, it's a Harvard study that was done. So an anthropologist went to Fiji in 1995, studied the culture of food in Fiji. One of the aside things they found, there was no incidence of eating disorders amongst teenage girls in Fiji. Later that year, television was introduced. They went back in 1998, they found 11.3% of girls had some kind of eating disorder. This was a statement. By 1998, after just a few years of sexy soap operas and seductive commercials, 11.3% of adolescent girls reported they at least once had purged to lose weight. They went back in 2007 so nine years later, Beckham found that disordered eating habits were alive and well in Fiji, with 45% of girls reporting they had purged in the last month. You go, ma'am, we live in a sick world that is, that is hurting young people without the sense of this acceptance and, and belonging. um, I've been in ministry 40 years. I started my first seven or eight years was as a youth worker. I never encountered... Second trigger warning, third trigger warning, uh, I've ne- I have never encountered self-harm, it just wasn't a thing we dealt with. And, and then when I came back working with a lot of young people 10 years ago, it was all over the place. British Medical Journal, 2019, the prevalence of non-suicidal self-harm in England has nearly tripled over the last 10 years. Non-suicidal self-harm is increasingly being reported as a way of coping. It's like, this is crazy. This is a crazy world, but I love the fact that God wants to meet us at this point of pain. Seven or eight years ago in the church that I'm at, often, just for a period of time, we had this thing, often in large conferences, we'd have this thing, at, oh, let me tell you, the first time I went to this conference, I thought, oh, I was a bit silly, and that's not real praise, that's just me silly, and standing there being judgmental, and then, and then this young guy walked past me, and he's looking a bit stunned. And his shirt was open and his sleeves were pulled off. And I was like, man, what's wrong with him? He looks at spaced out. I was standing next to a youth worker and he's like, oh, his chest and his arms were covered from the scars of self-harm and the worship then, the scars just disappeared. And, and we, had, we had a number of incidences of that over several years of people just in the worship would look down and scars were gone. And you go, and I feel like it was God was just, he just wanted to put his, a touch point on the pain of a generation and go, I get what this generation is struggling with. And, and I want to meet them at their point of pain. And, and, and I want to bring an answer. And so, you know, the great news is, that this, like Jesus came to do a great exchange on this issue. Yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, he came to pay the price for your sins, so when you can die, you go to heaven. Yeah, he came to take the curse, so you can live under the blessing of Abraham. Yeah, all that, all that theological stuff. But in our humanity, he came to take the pain of rejection so that you might live in the sense of acceptance that Jesus lived in. So, so what is the answer? This thing, Jesus endured our rejection that we might enjoy his acceptance. So there's verses... Uh, like John chapter 1, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I get to feel like I belong in a family. Paul talks about this Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, again, because you're his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. It's like, Man, part of the gospel is, um, yeah, it's not just I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm made righteous. I'm a child of God. I belong now. And it's like, man, I want to do that trade. But I think the key thing is probably, actually, Jesus does an exchange of his experience for ours. And so you actually have to look at the experience of Jesus. And there's a passage that you see this really clearly. It's found in Mark chapter 1. Jesus' baptism just says this. Remember the context? We're going to do an exchange. Jesus is like, You've experienced this rejection, this despising, this low self esteem. I'm going to take that on myself on the cross. I'm going to give you what I live with. This is what Jesus lived with. Voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. That's the exchange. Jesus, would you take the pain of rejection, hurt, the aggressive reactions, the self hate, all the strategies I've come up to cope? Would you just, could I give that all to you? And would you give me this sense? I just live, I'm a child of God, I'm loved, and I'm valued. You can break it down in this next one the sense of identity. You're my child, I belong. I'm not on the outside, I'm not the person that no one sees or doesn't matter. I belong. More than that, I love you. I'm valued by God. And even, and even more than that, God, I'm, God says, I'm pleased with you. There's a sense of achievement. There's a sense you're good enough in God. You're enough. He's pleased with you. It's okay. And it's like, this is the exchange that Jesus came to do. He took our rejection so we could know that kind of thing, his acceptance. Jesus told a story, the story of the prodigal son, that's really familiar for many of us. So again, in a sense, he started by rejecting his family, but he ended up being rejected by his friends, by his, where he was, and I'm sure he internalized then some self-hate, like, man, I've messed up my life. <clears throat> but he just says this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. We have a, a men's conference. Um, I wasn't there last year. I was in the UK. But I heard we have a, a, a grandfather figure in our movement of churches. He's just turned 75. But he spoke to this men's conference, Kiwi men. Okay? So, and, he, and at the end, he just had this prompting. He's like, do you know what? I feel like... So if, Think how awkward this would be, how this would crap, bomb, not work. He said, I just feel like there's guys here, you just need a hug. And people started coming down the front and just sobbing on people, like Kiwi men, just sobbing. And uh, and I've preached this message around a bit recently. I did it uh, you know, in England, lots of young women just coming out the front sobbing, that sense of self-hate and rejection. Did it at a, lead, a pastor's conference in Italy. Again, pastors just sobbing on someone's shoulder. This, this, this cry to just feel accepted, feel like I'm good enough, feel like I'm loved, feel like I'm valued. And, it, and it's like, this is, remember what I said, this exchange is the one that killed him. This is the deepest need of our humanity. that that this human experience of rejection, being despised, being excluded, not being valued, that Jesus took all that ugliness on the cross and gives me his acceptance instead. You know, and and then it, oh, just before I move on, it says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him, to know that you've been seen, but then was filled with compassion. I've preached this message a bit the last few months in lots of different places. It doesn't mean I didn't feel it was the right one for here. When I prayed about coming, I, sometimes I see these crazy pictures. I just saw this whole, this whole lot of angels around the back of this auditorium carrying in this gift of God's compassion for people. I feel like that's what he wants to do. To, that's where it all starts. There's a the hug of acceptance. There's the, trans, there's the exchange of belonging, but it all starts maybe for the first time that God's reaction is compassion for the struggle, compassion for how hard it's been. I don't, and I love, I didn't know that you started by passing, passing down a basket for a compassion offering. Can I tell you that God has sent his angels here with an offering of God's compassion for you today, that you would feel that. Now in the story it goes on, his father said quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Sandals represent a, I'm a child. The robe, I'm valued. I'm esteemed. I'm loved. The ring, this kind of authority, this trusted sense of competence. You're good enough. It's like, man, that's a beautiful exchange. Just let God's Holy Spirit begin to minister his compassion to you and his healing. I, um, two weeks ago, I um, shared this message at a church in the west of England near the Welsh border. And last night, a, a woman messaged me and she said, "This. I hope, st- Hi, Steve. I hope you don't mind me messaging you, but I really felt like I needed to. I'm part of this church family. I sadly missed your preaching as I was in hospital, but I've caught up with it. I have anorexia nervosa. I've suffered for 17 years, and I'm quite unwell at the moment. I don't really know what words to say to you, but the words that you spoke touched something of the Holy Spirit inside of me." And and she said this and gave me thoughts and feelings about myself I don't ever remember feeling before. I've gone from feeling hopeless to knowing that there is hope. I came to church the week before and I said to Pastor, the, the, Pastor's wife that I was tired, that I was tired of this fight and that it's been too long. Even my doctors had lowered my level of care so they no longer focused on recovery but on stability meaning that I just live in a state of being kept alive, not actually living. And this might sound a bit triumphant, and I know there's a journey, but she said, I will prove them wrong, I will recover, and I'll message you again with my testimony, thank you. But I love, I love that statement that in the middle of it, just watching a recording of a message, she said, I, I, God gave me thoughts and feelings about myself I don't ever remember feeling before that it started with this compassion for her brokenness and her struggle. And then, like, it shifted to a sense, man, there's value in my life. I belong. I'm I'm going to be good enough. And that gave hope. And I believe that God has sent His Holy Spirit here this morning, with gifts of his compassion for you, for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come with gifts of compassion. Whatever people's journey, whatever their strategies that are working or not working, that the first thing that they would know is they are seen by a God and they would feel your compassion and you would minister your compassion into broken places into places of self hurt and self hatred and self harm into memories of being rejected and you would awaken something new God that I belong, that I'm loved, that I'm okay, and I'm enough, and that you're pleased with me. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whānau, or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day. Be blessed.